Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Check your calendar. Check your watch. It's Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And Dr. Peter Kapsner is in studio with me. And it's time for the prayer series. Hello, Peter. Hello there, Bill. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> that, was, that was an exciting intro. Yeah. I feel the chemistry in the in the room today. Yeah, not we? awkward. Not awkward at all. No. No. Uh, we're no. just so excited about our guest. Oh, uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's time we bring her on. I think that'd probably be a wise move at this yeah. point. I first read her book, uh, one of her books, in 2017, and it was one of those wild books where you went, whoa, this is amazing. This is really good. Hmm. So I've always thought she'd be a great guest on our prayer series, and I requested her and she, that she come on, and she said yes. And she's authored nine books, uh, including adult and children's titles. She, uh, before COVID, traveled and speaks all the time at conferences and youth gatherings and church services about reckless faith, and that oh, yeah. is going to talk about her prayer life as well. Uh, awfully glad to have her back. Her name is Beth Guckenberger, and let's just admit that's a fun name to say. It is a fun name to say. It yeah. is. Hi, Beth. It's great to have you in here. Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys. You know, yeah, I, I, I was a missionary in another country, so I've heard it said in every every <laughs> font that you can come up with. So anything is, is close enough, I'll answer to it. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with Amen. And what that word means to me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, I was a missionary for many, many, 15 years out of the country. And we used to drive from Mexico, where I was serving, up to Texas a couple times a year just to buy what I called border goodies things that I just needed to make my missionary life go, like dark chocolate chips and powdered iced tea <laughs> and cheddar cheese. <laughs> And one day I was in Texas at an outlet with my family, and I noticed in a window this purse that was really out of my missionary budget. And I had nine children at the time, so I was carrying purses that kind of look like army duffels. <laughs> and this was this cute little purple suede purse. And it just, it probably represented something to me about a life I wasn't living, but it attracted me enough. The third time I went by it, I walked in and uh, spent more than I should have and bought this little purse and carried it around in the squatters' villages and orphanages where I was serving for just a few weeks until it was stolen out of my car. And in the aftermath of it being stolen, just to give you insight into my broken theology, I, I was beating myself up saying things like, I got what I deserve and I have <laughs> been a very good, I wasn't a very good steward and and then I further punished myself by starting to carry around my eight-year-old daughter's purse. And I flew to the U.S. a couple of weeks after that happened to speak at an event. And after, on the way to the event, I was thinking, I need to just, I need to replace that purse. And I pulled into a strip mall I'd never seen before, kind of scanned the stores, and I saw a luggage store that I thought might sell me a purse. I buzzed in really fast, and I saw this leather backpack hanging on the wall that looked kind of part practical and part attractive, and I and I snagged it and went up front to pay for it. And the lady told me how much it was going to cost, and it was the same price as my coach purse that had been stolen. So I was like, I'm not doing that again. I left it there. Went on to the event, and then eventually that night, 
landed at my mom's house. Um, she was our U.S. mailing address, and I was going to spend the night there before returning to Mexico the next day. And I had a birthday since I was last um, at home. And so there was a package on the dresser for my college roommate. And I opened up that package, kind of thankful she had even remembered. And as soon as I saw what was in that package, the first thing I said to Jesus was, oh, my gosh, you are always reintroducing yourself to me because I was positive you did not care about purses. Inside of that package was the leather backpack I'd held in my hands just a couple hours before. And I eventually called her first of all, find out when we started exchanging gifts so nicely. And I asked her, like, I said, did you know that my purse had been stolen? Did somebody tell you that? She said, no, no, I just saw it and thought of you. Oh. And I just, I was thinking to myself as I laid in bed that night, of all the emotional energy I wasted, kind of beating myself up, being mad at that thief. And God had put into motion a solution to a problem I hadn't even had yet. She bought that purse before mine got stolen. And I laid in bed that night, and I was just trying to think about the other things in my life that I might be wasting emotional energy on, that God might actually already be putting into motion a solution. And what would it look like for me to trust Him instead of wrestle or fight against circumstances or worse yet against Him? And the only word I could say in that moment of recognition was, amen. I just I just kept saying amen, which basically means so be it. And I just I just kept taking a deep breath like amen, amen, amen. <laughs> and and the and the more that I said that word, the more I don't know, sometimes I say the word felt like it was pregnant. Like it just it created this space. And in that space I began to pray the way I normally do, like I confess my sins and ask for stuff. And then at the end of that prayer I acknowledged who I was talking to, which was Jesus, and I was like, Oh dear Jesus and I, I like kind of looked at for my prayer and realized I had inverted it. I had started with the word amen, and I had ended with dear Jesus. And I mean, that's been like 15 years ago, and that's that's now how I pray all the time. And some days the only word I pray is the word amen. And it's this like code word between God and I of like, I know you're sovereign, and I know you've got it, whatever it is bugging me on today. And I'm going to just trust you that in this moment that I don't even know how to pray, like, so be it. Like, it's it's now back into your hands. If I took it from your hands, I'm so sorry because you're, you're in charge, and I trust you. So that, that word I say all day throughout every circumstance, um, and it's just like a recalibrator for me. So I guess that's a long way to answer your question. Amen for me is like a spiritual recalibration. That's what I love about that, too, and just the story of the re- recalibration like that, Beth, is, is that— Amen has become kind of almost a pointless word, I think, sometimes in my own prayer life. It's sort of just what you say at the end to indicate that you're done. It, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean much, but boy, you, you use the idea, just even this word pregnant, and that it really creates a pregnant meaning when you, when you start with that. And it even sounds to me, to some extent, you're just saying, hey, look, I get it, God, you're, you're in control of this whole deal anyway, so I'm going to start with amen, so be it, and then I will go from that place, as opposed to just putting a cap on the end of a prayer. Yeah, and I... I... I always say my Bible crushes on Moses, like I study Exodus probably more than any other book. And there's a part in the middle of, of the book of Exodus where God's given instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And he pretty much says to Moses, like, if you make a space for me, I'm going to come and fill it. And amen is a space creator for me. It like makes a space that God then comes and fills. And sometimes 
I need a word to wrestle out my own kind of wants, desires, interest of controlling. Like I, I, I want to fix things, but at the end of the day, we can't fix what God wants to heal. And I think amen is like a, it's like the first step in inviting the Lord to heal whatever it is that I'm talking to him about. I love the idea that you have a Bible crush. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> I'm sitting here, my mind is racing. It's like, who do I have a Bible crush on? I'm trying, trying to think of who that might be, but Moses is a great uh, choice. Bill, do you have any Bible crushes? Or, or, Not really. I mean, I never <laughs> thought about that before. That's brilliant. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I want to meet Jesus, and uh, but then next in line, after maybe a few loved ones, is can I can I get a moment or two with Moses? Please? <laughs> 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 yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's some when I read when I started to pay attention to the word Amen, and then started to study. You see prophets using that word differently. Mm-hmm. You see. Even Jesus used that word in some interesting ways um, in his ministry. And so, yeah, just encourage your listeners to think about it as more than like the punctuation mark on our prayers, but more like a gateway Hmm. into deeper conversation. Beth, you have really a wonderful story that you tell about a bathroom. About about building a bathroom. That about one? building a bathroom. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, yeah, a lot of prayer involved in that. I'm very intrigued by this. Oh, we're yeah, bu- we're building a bathroom as we speak. So yeah, no, I, right. I mean, I'm yeah, very Peter's intrigued building by this. a bathroom. In we his truly house, are. So. Yeah, indeed. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm like, there's a lot of stories that involve bathrooms, but I know that. One. Yeah. <laughs> we have a uh, we have a large family, and when we moved back off the mission field into the U.S., we knew we needed a unique house that would take um that would create little pieces of real estate for everyone in our household and then we knew we needed a guest room because we have a lot we anticipated and it has happened a lot of missionaries that would come off the field and spend time in our house as they were re um, adjusting to the culture so when we're building this house my husband came to me one night and he's like hey i know that we've kind of finished the floor plan but i think we need to add a bathroom to that guest room and i was like we don't there are so many bathrooms in that house. We do not need a bathroom in that guest room. Like people can go upstairs or downstairs. They don't need a bathroom. And he was like, no, I really, I think they're going to appreciate the privacy. I think, I think it's really important. And I I don't know how you all fight with your spouses, but um, man, we were talking about a bathroom in one minute and like a hot second later, I was talking about his mother and (laughs) that that conversation, you know, it it got off the track pretty fast. We had just, learned. So at at my day job with orphaned and vulnerable children, we do a lot of trauma training and we had just ourselves gone through some of our new training and it was, and we were talking about the relationship in this training between anger and fear. And we were learning that fear is the primary emotion, which then expresses itself in anger. And in other words, every time we're angry, we're actually really afraid. And this, this trainer was like, you know, has anybody ever lost one of your kids in a grocery store. And I had this memory. I lost my son, Josh, for, you know, uh, maybe 60 seconds in a grocery store. And when I finally found him in the produce department, I was not like, hey, you want to pick out some bananas? You know, I found him and I was like, what are you doing over here? Just, like I was crazy. <laughs> but I was really just terrified. And it just, it was expressed as anger. So, so we had been brand new practicing the skill of, I wonder what it looks like if one of our kids escalates or one of us would escalate if the other person could have enough composure 
to figure out what the escalator is afraid of instead of just trying to match or or supersede their anger in order to win an argument. So as we're having this discussion around a bathroom, my husband Todd stopped and he goes, hey, you're sounding kind of angry. I'm wondering what you're afraid of. And I just took a deep breath and I was like, hmm, I, I think I'm afraid that we can't afford it. And he goes like, oh, well, then hold on. Let me show you. And he gets out of spreadsheets and shows me all the numbers. And he's like, I wouldn't even brought it up if I didn't think we could afford it. And I was like, once I saw his numbers, I'm like, huh, okay, great. I'd like brush nickel in that bathroom. <laughs> Please, <laughs> but like now in our, in our marriage rhythm and in my parenting rhythm, when I see somebody escalating, which in the year we just had plenty of reasons for escalation we've had, like if, if, one party can have the composure to invite the other person to express their fear, then you actually curtail the drama in relationship because then you get a chance to actually exchange and address what's at, what's actually causing the disruption instead of fighting about how you're fighting and not actually getting to the root of the issue, which will just cause us to repeat that same conversation in another setting with other circumstances. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that the trauma training that we've learned at war in our ministry life that has translated into our home life because we have 11 children and, and a lot going on on any given day. Well, all right, we'll take a little break. We are uh, talking to Beth Guckenberger and we're in our prayer series as we continue. Dr. Peter Kaffner and I will be right back. Welcome back to the prayer series. Dr. Peter Kastner and I are uh, talking to Beth Guckenberger today. She's written nine books. And one of the books that really caught my attention was from 2017. It's called Start With Amen, How I Learned to Surrender by Keeping the End in Mind. Um, so, uh, Beth, you know what? I'd love for you uh, to chat and tell us a little bit about... Um, let me find it here in my notes. I took notes. Just so not like me. This is a tremendous amount of prep that that yeah. we, you know with the notes there. He's yeah. just scrolling through the the number of them. Yeah, some of the some of the barriers to amen. It's oh, a great question. Yeah. It's called yeah. sleeping with the frog. Mm-hmm. Well, I, t- I already told you my Bible crushes in uh, with Moses. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but since you said that, I've like been going through Esther and Ruth. I'm trying to think of somebody that I'd have a Bible crush on. I haven't <laughs> been able to land on that yet. That's, I've just okay, never heard well. that phrase. We'll keep thinking about it. <laughs> well, the, the story that the story that made me realize, um, man, there are things in my life that are barriers. Is it's a story from Exodus chapter eight. So it's in the middle of the plagues, right? So Pharaoh and Moses and let my people go, and and God's getting Pharaoh's attention by bringing plagues into the land. And probably my favorite plague is the plague of the frogs. And at the beginning of that chapter eight. Moses says, you know, if you don't let me go, we're going to bring frogs. They're going to be in your bed, your oven, your kneading trough. They're going to be on your palace, your people, your walls. And so they they all come and they fill everywhere. And then Pharaoh gets tired of them, you know, in his oven and his kneading trough and his bed and his walls and his people. So he calls Moses back and says, like, get rid of the frogs. I'll let you do whatever you want to, but get rid of the frogs. And then, like, one of the smartest verses in the Bible happens that – 
in the next verse, I think it's verse 8 of chapter 8, Moses says to Pharaoh, I'm going to leave you the honor of setting the time of when they leave. I, I'll get rid of all of them except for the ones that have to stay in the Nile. And if the guy who had the power to take the frogs away and you hated the frogs, like when would you tell him you want to get rid of the frogs? He'd say like, right now, get rid of those frogs right now. <laughs> and in verse 10 of that chapter, Moses replies, tomorrow. Like, And I remember thinking, what? He wants to sleep one more night with all those frogs? Like, that doesn't make any sense until I think about the kinds of things that get between my relationship with God. Like, sins I'd rather make a habit than I would confess, or addictions, or things that sins that become so familiar to us, they're almost a part of our identity, like worry or or anger or envy or or gossip and like these things that they get in our ovens and our kneading troughs, they're up in our palace, you know, they're on our people, they're in our beds, they're everywhere. And and Jesus says to us in a New Testament version, hey, I'll give you the honor of telling me when you want to get rid of these things because I've actually already done everything required. So if you don't want to be plagued by this sin anymore, you tell me when you want it to go. And sometimes we look at the Lord and we're like, how about we just deal with it tomorrow? Like I, it just seems somehow easier to sleep with that frog, that metaphorical frog one more night. And when I kind of looked in the mirror through that, lens of that story, I began to ask myself, what frogs am I sleeping with? Like what, what things have I told the Lord? I don't, I don't know if I want to deal with that. I don't know if I want to live without that. I don't know who I am if I'm not like that. And just how silly Pharaoh looks. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to look that, that silly in front of you. I want to instead, as soon as I see a frog say, now, get rid of it now. I don't want it now. And that that chapter in that book, and certainly that this chapter in my life has been a bunch of like, no, 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 frog, I've already dealt with you before. You are you don't have any you can't be in this place. Like I mm-hmm. you, I, I, I'm a color with Christ and I have authority to get rid of you and I've gotten rid of you and you you can't come back to me now. And just keeping my space um free from the kinds of sins that can I guess that we don't want anymore. And so I, I, you know, for every person, another verse I really like about our barriers is in Genesis four, God's talking to Cain, the bad brother, like raising Cain. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. You have two choices. You can master it or it'll master you. So the sins that are at my door are different than the sins that are at Bill's door. You know, our, our, our frogs have to do with our childhoods and our temperaments and our experiences and our trauma and all the things that happen in our lives. But I don't want I don't want the sin crouching at my door to master me. And I think I think understanding what ongoing daily consistent and constant prayer with God, well the role that that plays in freeing my life of frogs is that's really what that chapter is all about. Yeah, when you tell the story in that way, Beth, it calls to mind when Jesus was with uh, one of the many people who would have been sick, and he asked sort of an interesting, compelling, and even somewhat uh, confusing question when he says, well, do you want to be well? And yeah. and I, I, I've puzzled over that to some extent, other than maybe the your frog story really puts that together in the sense of to, to what degree when we begin to pray for change in our life, like you describe, do, do we think that God just waves a magic wand, you know, somehow, or... Uh, Part of the process, it seems to me, is is being just brutally honest with the kinds of things that maybe we are hanging on to that we don't want to let go of just so easily. And and just knowing that, like, I, I don't I don't have any idea what's going to happen next. Like, 
in this neighborhood where we were building that house with that bathroom, we were living in this neighborhood for three years before it was the rest of the lots in this development were populated. And so they didn't have street signs or stop signs. And I just used to buzz up and around this hill um, at my own little vehicular craziness because nobody was paying attention. And then eventually I know I was using my international skills here in Ohio and nobody could tell, but one day they put a stop sign right in front of my house. And I was picking up a son from soccer. I drive a convertible and the top was down. The radio was on. I was on the phone. I was giving him instructions and I flew through a stop sign that had been put in that day. And I could hear someone yelling at me, but all that other stuff was going on. I didn't really know what it was. When I pulled in the garage, I was like, told my son, you go inside. I'm going to find out if somebody was yelling. So I had a neighbor outside and I said, did you just yell something at me or did you hear someone yelling? And she goes, oh yeah, that's our new neighbor. He, he was standing at the stop sign. He was just yelling at you. He, he like compliance with uh, the law is really important to him. And you, you just broke the law to him. And I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't even met him yet. So I go in my house and I say to my kids, like, first of all, all of you stop at the stop sign. And secondly, I just offended a neighbor. And I don't know, the Bible says we're supposed to be part of the kingdom of priests. Like, I'm supposed to represent God to him. Like, what do you think I should go over there and do? And, you know, they're teenagers. They had all kinds of ideas. But <laughs> I, I didn't, like, I, I honestly didn't know what to do. So that night I just prayed, like, God, what, what would you have me do with my neighbor? And I didn't know what to do. Like, I think this is part of that constant, consistent um, confession and conversation with God. In the morning I woke up and I was like, well, I make a pretty good chocolate chip cookie. Maybe I'll just do that. So I printed off in Pinterest these little stop signs and I put them on these cookies and I walked over to this house and I knocked on the door and the guy answered and, you know, he didn't recognize me because I had gone flying by him the night before. <laughs> and I said, hi, my name's Beth and I live in that house and I think I upset you last night and I just really wanted to say sorry. And I handed him my cookies and that's that's actually all I had planned. I didn't have any thing. I hadn't really thought through what would happen after that. But just like that, that word making space, like I honestly think if we continue to make space for God in marriages and parenting and neighborhoods and work and whatever, if we make space for God, he will come and fill it. So, so as I made space for him, like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I think that that man would probably have said afterwards that he overshared with me because he wasn't expecting that. And now we're like buddies. Like now, you know, every time I stop at the stop sign, which is right in front of his house, I like, you know, honk it. At <laughs> it. Like I kind of delay there for a few minutes. Yeah. And he tips his hat at me. Like, and I, I, I think that um, it started a friendship with someone who probably I wouldn't have otherwise interacted with. And yeah, that's, that's beautiful. the surprise. That's the surprise God has for us. Yeah. We'll take, yeah. we'll take a little break. Beth Guckenberger is our guest as we continue our prayer series, Dr. Peter Kapfer and I will be right back with our special guest, Beth Gackenberger. The book we're chatting about is Start With Amen. Be right back. Yeah. 
Welcome back. We're uh, talking about prayer today. What should we do on Wednesdays? Dr. Peter Kapsner and I have Beth Guckenberger as our guest. And Beth, what a small world that we've got going with our producer, Rosie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She was just reminding me that we met a couple of years ago. Um, I had been, uh, I woke up one night, I had had a dream. And in that dream, somebody walked out onto the church stage and said, the pastor isn't going to be able to share this morning. Is there anybody available? And in my dream, I carry around a little pink Bible that I speak with on, that I use and that I used to speak. And I, in my dream, I waved around this little pink Bible and I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I woke up and I remember telling my husband, I feel like God just gave me a warning that I'm going to have to be ready at some point in a moment's notice to share. And I just, I just want to say to you, hold me accountable if I get that opportunity that I take it. And a couple of weeks later, I was at a conference, and I was just attending the conference. I was on the board of directors for that ministry. I wasn't um, going to be a speaker. And right before the opening session, the director, the president of that organization found me in the audience and said, hey, um, our opening speaker is having trouble at the airport, and I don't think he's going to get here on time. Do you have anything in your back pocket? Could you get up and share tonight? And I was like, yes, I had this dream. I'm going to do it. So I get really excited, and I go backstage, and I get my headset on, and I'm really excited. And then the guy shows up. And I remember being so disappointed, like, wait, wait, wait. This is like I'm supposed to share tonight. Like I had a prophetic dream. Like I don't know who you are, but this is not your time, you know. But he, he had a contract and a plan, and he was excited to have gotten there. And I could tell as I was hearing him kind of breathlessly share with the president all the hoops that happened at the last minute that got him there. I was like, oh, the Lord really got you here, but I thought this was about me. And so I forced myself to come out and sit in the audience because I knew the Lord had a message through him that he had for all of us. And I wanted to be there to hear it. So that night I heard this guy's message. It was lovely. And I went to bed and I was just like, Lord, I thought that this was like a date you and I had set up. And I thought like, what's this about? And the next day I participated in the conference and I, uh, it was about four o'clock that afternoon. And that president came and found me and said, Hey, tonight's speaker is stuck in some storms in Atlanta and definitely won't make it here tonight. Can I ask you again if you'll be the relief pitcher? And I, I remember um, like smiling that the Lord had a message for me that wasn't necessarily about being ready. It was about, um, do I trust him? Do, will I, will I listen? Like it was more about, it was more about what happened on Friday night than it was what happened what happened through me on a Saturday night in that stage. And I just kind of smiled like, yeah, I'll do it. So that night um, I was, by the time I got there, I was, I can remember um, just feeling like this was an assignment God had for me. But I also remember that some of the people that had sponsored that evening were like, Hey, we heard that this fabulous speaker, I won't mention was unable to make it. And they thought I was the person at the door who passed out the brochures. And they're like, did you find out who they ended up having and I was like yeah yeah I'm gonna do it and these people were looking at me like are you sure that you're the right person and I have this little tiny pink bible and they were like that that's what you're preaching out of I'm like it's yes I am and when I when I got on the stage um I felt like I don't even really know how to, to describe it but like a moment where 
I, I knew in my heart that if God was the star of the story, that what was going to happen next was going to be greater than the sum of my parts, that God was going to bring some of his supernatural anointing, and that what people were going to hear was not what I was going to say through a microphone, but what God was going to say to them was going to be created in an atmosphere of submission and obedience. And so when I finished, I had a chance to talk to your producer, who I didn't know that would be your producer, and I didn't even remember her name. So I don't know if she wants to share, but that's what I happened. I hope she next. does. Indeed. This so, is Rosie. So my name is Rosie, and what was happening when um, Beth was going through her you know, trial and being called up is that unbeknownst to Beth, I was up in my own hotel room um, kind of wrestling with the Lord. He had me on a trajectory about a year and a half earlier that I thought that was the way I was supposed to go. And here I am at this conference in a completely different job that I didn't see coming. And I just was really, you know, wrestling with what direction do you have me going? And I'm really confused by this. I want to be obedient, but I'm confused. So as conferences go, we were supposed to go out to dinner with a whole group of people that we were with. And I had to be really kind of firmly disobedient with my boss because he really wanted me to go to dinner. And I was really hearing the Lord say, no, you have to go to this conference. There's somebody speaking. I need you to hear what she's going to say. And it's the message is for you. And so I, you know, I kind of dug my feet in and told my boss, I can't go to dinner. I'm the Lord's my boss above you. And I, he wants me at this conference. And so I went to listen to what she was going to say. And as she gives her message, she says, now I'm here for a reason. And there's somebody here in this audience that needs to hear this message. And Mm. I went white because I thought, oh yeah, that was me. And her Mm. message was about, um, I don't know, Beth, if you remember this, but her message was about how Moses had to climb the mountain several times. And he was in training for, he was always in training for what God had for him. And Mm -hmm. so what I heard the Lord say to me was that everything I've asked you to do is training for the next job I have for you. Mm. And Mm -hmm. this whole interaction, you are so loved that this whole interaction is for you and all these other people, of course, but I kind of feel like I'm God's favorite. Um, (laughs) This whole interaction is for you to know that I've got you and I've got Mm -hmm. everything at the work of your hands will be for my glory and to trust me. So after the conference, you know, I was all revved up, but Beth wasn't in the program. I didn't know her. I was so jazzed about hearing the message. I went to go pray with the Lord. And it was like a day and a half later, I'm going, I don't know who that was. And so I'm (laughs) hearing Beth speak right now going, oh my gosh, he's aligned our paths again. And I'm just so thankful that you said yes, Beth, because it Mm -hmm. helped me um, administer in so many ways after that conference that takes a lot of faith. I've seen a lot of miracles and signs and wonders. And um, without you stepping up, you were that you were that like cherry on top of the Sunday. It was that confirmation of you stepping into faith, gave me the faith to step into faith and to know that God has our tomorrow, regardless of how today looks. Mm. So I just want to thank you. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm saying thank you to my human crush, <laughs> my human girl crush that I didn't even know I had. Okay, okay Peter, well, does, I, does it surprise you at all that three years ago she was talking about her crush Moses? No, not She's still. I mean, <laughs> and what, what do we possibly have to say to follow up to that? I mean, I, you know, I yeah. think Peter has a crush on David myself. It's, I think it's a romance, <laughs> and I'm just going to put that out there. All right, Beth, you yeah. were going to say. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't think God counts the way we count. And sometimes, you know, we might, 
I might have finished the night like that and thought, okay, the big deal was, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, yeah. or Z. And God was like, no, actually, the whole thing was actually just for one person. And I'm telling her story in a way that you're, you might never be privy to, but it's not our job to be privy to that. It's just our job to be obedient and to find joy in the midst of that obedience, which is actually not to circle back. That's the story of Exodus 19, which is what I shared that night. Moses got called to the top of a mountain that was 6,000 feet tall, and he was 80 years old, which is hard to climb at 40 years old, but really hard to climb at 80 years old. God took him at the top of the mountain and said, go back down and get Aaron, brings him to the top of the mountain. And by the end, Moses gets asked to walk up a mountain three different times, 6,000 feet each time. And when I think about how Moses didn't resist that assignment, but just continued to do what was asked, it doesn't, it makes a lot of sense to me just a couple of chapters later, God would ask him to go up a mountain and get the 10 mm-hmm. commandments. He's, he's already proven he's a good mountain walker. He'll, he'll do what's required. And I, so I love the idea that we just, we just need to climb a mountain if God says to do it, because he knows exactly why he's asked that assignment of us. So thanks for blessing me tonight, Rosie. I think what I love about that uh, story to you too is we hear often, right, that you just, you're obedient to the moment. You don't always know why. You sort of walk in towards the unknown and, and you hear these sort of sometimes Christianese things. Well, you don't know what fruit might be born from something like this, and, and, uh, but you'll just walk obediently. And here we are. We're sitting like, Bill, you and I are sitting right in the middle of the fruit that was born three years ago, Rosie. It's incredible. Well, and isn't God grace-filled to align our paths? Because I remember feeling like I want to connect with her someday, some way to say thank you. Yeah. Because she mm-hmm. had no idea. I was so I was so enamored with the fact that there was a message and that God had it assigned for me. I mean, isn't that the way God likes to love on us? Is we are yeah. each one of us are so important to him. And I was so enamored with that to actually leave the conference and go, She never knew. Mm. She never mm-hmm. knew how her obedience Incredible. touched me. And so I just think he's so good. He's <laughs> so good at being God. He's just amazing. Peter, do you know where we identify in this story? Uh, tell me. <laughs> we're, uh, we're always plan B speakers. <laughs> well, the, the person we wanted uh, couldn't make it. Hey, Capture, can you go on? Yeah. And we don't, we don't get divine dreams that, that invite us into it either. It's a, yeah, oh, that's great. I love it. So, Beth, talk about the boldness of amen. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I think I like Hebrew words. I always say, no vocabulary test when we get to heaven, but Hebrew words end up feeling like doorknobs that take me into new rooms of understanding. And when I learned the word chutzpah in Hebrew, which is utter audacity, gall, and nerve, I thought, yeah, I like that idea. And boldness is really just understanding the rights and authorities we have in our position in Christ and as a child of God. In fact, I'm working on a new book right now. And it it came really out of this sense of boldness. I remember one day, just uh, last year during COVID, I took a short-term assignment as the pastor of a really large church that without warning found themselves um, without a a pastor. And I've never been a pastor before. I've never planned on being a pastor again. It was just this little eight-month window when um, God asked me to into this assignment. And I can remember one day thinking about Ephesians chapter six and putting on my armor of God. And I was saying, well, the verses I've read in first Peter about there's an enemy out there and he roars around like a lion and he wants to take us down. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't, I don't want to put my armor on and wait for him to come to me. I want to 
like he doesn't do anything new. He does the same thing over and over again. I know when he's coming, he comes. You can spot him a mile away. Instead of waiting for him to come to me, I actually want to go to him and punch him first. And that, like that kind of boldness of like I. I don't have to be afraid of anything, including darkness, including our spiritual enemy, because there's incredible strength that we have identifying as God's kids. And that that boldness um, means I don't have to understand how something's going to happen. I don't have I, I can I can I don't know. There's there's a lot of spiritual confidence that comes a lot of chutzpah that comes with understanding what what it means to be grafted into God's tree and to be considered fully in every sense one of his kids. Take a short break. When we come back, lots more with Beth Guckenberger. The book that she were chatting about is called Start With Amen, How I Learned to Surrender by Keeping the End in Mind. We'll be right back. the prayer series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are awfully excited to have Beth Guckenberger with us. Uh, Beth, right before uh, break, you were talking about Hebrew words are the doorknobs, and then I couldn't remember the rest because I can't listen and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that take us into new rooms of understanding. So mm. sometimes when I'm teaching a Hebrew word or I'm learning a new Hebrew word, I think, I don't want to get caught up in, am I saying it right? Did I spell it right? I really just want to I want to understand and then translate for another person. This is what this doorknob took me into this new room. And now I want to live differently because I've, I've experienced this new, this new room spiritually. No, I love that. that. Yeah, it totally does. My, uh, my wife, Hallie and my son, Caleb are just, they're Hebrew geeks completely. So I was was feverishly trying to write down what you had said about for that to text it over to them. So, but it's so true. And there's some, there's a richness within the Hebrew language that I I really appreciate the Greek of the new Testament as well, but Hebrew somehow it has a, it has a multifaceted multi-layer something to it. I'm not sure why that is exactly, but boy, when you can get into it, independent of how you can say it, right. It really has a richness of different meanings associated with it. Yeah, I mean, the word I've been talking about lately is the word that we translate um, into English as the phrase, here I am, Heneni, mm-hmm. eight times in our Old Testament. But Heneni is probably better translated as whatever it is that you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. And I've been telling the Lord, I want I want a Heneni my way through life. Like, I want whatever it is you're asking of me, like, yes, I'm in. I, I'm not going to count myself out because it's I'm too young or too old or too busy or too tired. Like. If you're asking, here I am. I, like I'm, and I, I remember I was in Israel a couple of years ago, and I was asking this guy, like, "Hey, I'm telling people about this word. Can you just like confirm I'm saying it right?" <laughs> he said, "Hey, you know, in your Bible, sometimes the Lord says that word to you." And I'm like, "Some place in my Bible, the Lord says whatever it is I'm asking of Him, He's in agreement of. What's that?" And then He took me to this passage in Isaiah 50, 58. It's like, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to break the chains of injustice and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and invite people in for shelter and all that? It says, like, basically, you're, if, you, if you're about my business, your healing will break forth, your, God will be your rear guard. And then it, at the end of that passage, it's like, you're going to cry out for help, and I'm going to respond to you. You're going to need me, and I will say to you, Hemeni, whatever it is you're asking of me. And when I... When I heard that, I thought, oh, that is my whole entire 
safe life, like in over my head, crying out for help. I cannot believe I'm in the middle of this assignment. What? Like, Lord, I can't do it right now. I'm not, I need more of something. And the Lord's like, I gotcha. Whatever it is you're, you're asking of me, I'll give it to you. You need capacity, wisdom, discernment, mercy, love, self-control. What, like, what do you need? Uh, I have it for you. And when, like, when I go into a new room of understanding like that, I, I want to live differently. Beth, let's, we've got about 11 minutes left. I'd love for you to talk about uh, a couple of things. The lifestyle of a man, it's better to give away a life than to build one. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a constant conviction to me to make sure I'm building a kingdom other than my own. And, um, you know, as my husband and I began to grow a ministry, um, which we still 25 years later work in the midst of, um, I, I really think the X factor is making sure that um, you give him credit and glory for what happens, that you don't allow anyone, even inadvertently, to to give or take or put attention on anything other than what God is doing. And I think that takes all kinds of things. It takes really good accountability. That takes that the habit of understanding how God feels about me so I don't need other people to feel any certain ways about me. That That's a a decision to be purposely sacrificial when it's much easier to think about um, what makes me comfortable. And I think that that spiritual rhythm is, um, it's relaxing when I submit to it and it's exhausting when I try to fight the way that God designed it to always be. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it really does. And is that just a process of, of sort of learning throughout a lifetime, too? I, I think about so many young people that I'm with, Beth, and that, that I'm teaching, and there's almost this sort of need to go test themselves or try themselves and, and then learn through failure what it is that you just described, uh, a, a different kind of life where you can build your own kingdom, but boy, oh boy, does that blow away quickly like the chaff. But you almost need to experience that firsthand before you can enter into the wisdom of what you're talking about. Yeah, and even realizing that you know, setbacks and discouragement and kind of all the things that can cause us to tap out. It doesn't disqualify us from kingdom life um, and really should propel us Mm. forward. And yeah, I mean, everything like uh, I had a really difficult foster daughter for about six years. And I can remember in the midst of that parenting struggle, I invited this Christian psychologist to come visit. And I said, Hey, listen, look under it, any bed, open any closet, enter into any conversation, like help me understand, is there something I can do differently? And he drew me this funny little tree after spending a day, a couple of days with us. And the tree had three parts, the the foliage, he wrote the words attitude and actions, the trunk, he wrote the word self-image and the root system, he wrote the word truth. And he said, Beth, I hear you spend a lot of time at the top of the tree. When you're talking to her, it's usually about her attitude or actions. Like, and he was right, like homework and skirt size and dishes and like the internet. And, and he said, that little girl makes the choices that she makes because her self-image is distorted and her self-image is distorted because it comes from a root system that doesn't just have truth in it, but it has a lot of lies. And we didn't, we didn't become parents and growth doesn't happen by cutting off the top of our tree to look better and better for the people on the outside. Real growth happens when we, when we 
focus in on that root system and work to take out our lies and to nourish truth in each other and in, in others. And I think that lifestyle is like, I'm going to ruthlessly edit my garden as much as possible to make sure I'm inputting truth and I'm, I'm pulling out as painful as it might be lies that I've built parts of my identity on and, or I have attitude and actions that spring from. Beth, as we talk about, um, so many of these dimensions of amen what about what would be the the opposite of amen Hmm. the opposite of amen is probably um some form of control yeah (laughs) great answer amen amen is about letting go yeah i will be done and and trusting and so it's some kind of like manipulation fixing controlling that kind of angsty arrangement of our life to best fit the circumstances we see with the perspective that we have in that moment. And I just don't want to live that way. I, I don't I don't want to live that way. And there's a lot of freedom that not only can we experience ourselves, but we can give to others. My honestly, my my front porch friends, my accountability friends could tell the difference in my life when I began to live this way, when I began to release and release control and release the need to fix things and release that manipulation of circumstances and people. Um, there was freedom. And as I was experiencing freedom, I was extending it to others. And there's something really refreshing about living that life like that, really. Mm-hmm. Just in the couple of minutes we have left now, let's um, just talk about confidence. And how confident we can be with that word, amen. Yeah. Oh, I think one of my favorite little stories is I have a son that I adopted when he was six weeks. And so he, even though he didn't come from my body in every way, he feels like he did. And when he was 15 years old, I took him to the ER because he was having a tremendous stomach ache. And they told me, hey, his appendix are going to rupture. And so we're going to take him into surgery in a couple hours. And they subdued him with some medicine. And then like a half an hour later, while I was filling out a bunch of forms, he sat up and started screaming and they rushed in and said, Hey, it ruptured. We have 30 minutes to get the toxins out. We all went running down the hallway next to his gurney. And I'm like, what do I need to sign anything? And they're like, just tell me his medical history. I'm like, okay, I don't do very well with anesthesia. His paternal grandfather died of cancer. His maternal grandmother has issues with her heart. And and my son Evan sat up in his gurney. He's like, "Mom, I'm adopted." I was like, "Oh, you're right. That's my medical history." Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> in that moment, because his future is my future, I assigned my history to his history, and I think confidence comes from recognizing my future is God's future. He's already written my future. I know what it is, and because of that, I can take on His history as my history and. Isaiah 51, it says, look at the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. Like, my rock has been cut from God's quarry. And there's a tremendous amount of confidence when I realize the spiritual family that is part of my my family tree, my spiritual family tree, because of because I've been grafted into this, this family. That And that identity is where that confidence comes from. And with that confidence, we can boldly approach the throne. With that confidence, we can stare down the enemy with that confidence we can take risks there's a lot that comes with that confidence yeah so good so good we've just had a blast with you thank you so much for doing the show it is totally my joy thanks for having me you all blessed me tonight yeah no kidding it's been really fun to hear your story with rosie and 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 all about um 
the word amen. It's been great. It really was fun to, to watch Rosie's reaction when she sort of had this aha moment yeah. uh, about this intersection of events some three, four years ago or whatever it was, because this was not planned at all, Rosie. I mean, you just, not, it also just hit you in, not, in the midst of it. Not at all. And Beth, I have to talk to you later because what you just said about the graft, I'm, I'm sitting here going, right? Lord, what is with this woman and how she just feeding me? So what he's been working on me on is um, the grafting of how we are grafted into him and that we are his and we're the same and he flows through us. And as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, goodness, it's another God moment. I can barely stand it today. So blessed. Well, all my prayers got answered today. They did. They, yeah. All of your prayers. All, all of them. But you can start with amen now. I did. You, yes. like, you just need to trust this again tomorrow. Yes. Well, Beth, thank you once again, and I look forward to having you back on the show whenever you want to come. It's an open invite. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. It was nice to meet you, Peter. Yeah, Yeah, you too. Thanks. (laughs) That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you to all of my guests. And uh, Peter, it's been a wonderful hour with Beth. Yeah, this is, I mean, we've had some great prayer uh, series and hours like this, but boy, oh boy, was this, it just, it had a different flavor, different perspective to it too. And she just brought such wisdom to the table. So great. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting Faith Radio in all the ways in which you do. We, um, We love you and we care about you and we are praying for you and thank you. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.